Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number 15. Today's guest is Gerald White. Gerald is the assistant pastor of Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church in Farnham in the United Kingdom. And in this episode, we speak about the gospel and also the call of God. We dive into knowing and to understanding God's calling and how to be confident of that calling, even as he moves you away from a church body. How do you know that this is the will of God? Is he really calling me to leave a church? Gerald provides some excellent insight into this, as well as what it means to have broken reconciliation. Throughout his ministry, you can see and hear the effects of grace on his life. We also talk about our mutual love for the life and ministry of Charles Haddon Spurgeon and his continued influence on pastors of all ages. I pray you will find this episode uplifting. Today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Offering an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, the CSB helps readers to make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing with your neighbor, hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. Now for Gerald White. We have a very special guest from all the way across the Atlantic, my good friend and brother Gerald White. How are you doing, Gerald? I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for the uh, gracious introduction. <laughs> yes, it's good to see you. It's good to talk to you, and uh, I hope that you are doing well. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We've literally, as of three weeks ago, just moved to a new area. So we've moved from Bournemouth, um, right on the south coast. You can't get any th- further south in, in England, to um, probably about 45 minutes away from London. Um, called uh, Farnham so we're just now out of boxes and finally starting to settle in so um, really good thank you yeah that's awesome now I I was going to talk to you about that because I was following along and trying to keep and stay in touch with you and this big move and so just yeah talk about that and talk about sort of the process of you know sort of feeling God's call to ministry to God actually leading you into this action, this position in Farnham. Yeah. Well, I think like calling, I mean, Spurgeon said it well, <clears throat> you know, with calling, it's something that is clear, you know, it's, um, if you can see yourself being a postman or a policeman or doing something else, then you're not called to church ministry. Um, 
and I would agree with that really. I think for us, the calling to church ministry was so clear, um, the excitement for it, the the deep honour and the weight of that just would not, it, it just didn't remove itself from us. So um, we pursued ministry. I started off at, uh, you know, I'll try and give a whistle-stop tour of um, my ministry life, but we we went to a church, um, uh, I won't say where it is, but we went to a church for my first ministry choice, and it was it was carnage, really. It was a great opportunity. We grew a lot in it and um god was gracious um but it was quite damaging for us so from there we took a year out just resting and receiving um and then we had this opportunity to go over to new york and um do some church planting training with city to city tim keller's city to city and also um learn from a church uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor in a church in Harlem um, called Renaissance Church, Harlem. Um, but due to certain reasons, uh, we wanted a year's break anyway, and finances for that kind of fell through. So we then moved from that and were looking for other opportunities to either church plant or to replant or revitalize a church. And there was lots of options. We got offered two um, pastoral options, uh, pastoring a church, um, one in London and then one also in Portsmouth. And then there was this assistant pastor role in Farnham. And I thought, no, it's not going to be this one in Farnham. You know, um, it's totally different. It's not really a multi-ethnic, multi kind of cultural area that we were desiring. I thought, no, it's not this. I went to preach review there and we came away straight away convicted that this is the place where we need to serve and help revitalize this church. So that's kind of where we're at. Obviously, we were praying throughout that whole process, and that is the main thing that's so important in any calling or any leading way you should go, always be prayerful. But God led us there in, in making it very clear that we should go there. Mm, that's awesome. Now, um, when you speak about uh, revitalizing a church, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? So what you'll normally have in a, in a church is... Um, with regards to revitalization, you'll have a church that's been on the decline or is, it's become stagnant. <clears throat> so this church, for example, over the years has had no more than 40 people. Mm. Um, uh, and it's probably about 100 and, 140, 130 sort of years old, um, which is, in American standards is ancient, but in England standards, it's quite a new sort of church in a way. Um, <clears throat> But revitalization is basically coming coming into a church and seeing the need for it to become healthy again, um, for them to uh, abound in faith, grow in faith, grow in their love for one another and their community. And um, sometimes with church revitalizations, the church has just been faithful. They've been preaching the word. They've been loving one another, but it just hasn't been growing. And sometimes they need some help. <clears throat> Uh, and ways to actually engage contextually with their with their community, um, but the aim is, you know, we want we want to see people saved. Um, we don't want to see bums on seats, but we want to see people saved, and we want to see the church grow because we believe that um, God's kingdom is growing. Um, Jesus is on His throne, and that you know the saints are forever growing. Um, 
And so, yeah, so revitalization, that, that's kind of what it is. You, 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 you're going to a church, you want to see it grow, you want to see it revitalized, you want to see um, depth to it. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still on a journey with it, um, but that's kind of what I would say. Oh, that's awesome. Now, you mentioned some of these other past sort of positions that you've held or been involved in. And um, describe for me, if you can, just like some of like the big takeaways. I know you said that that the first one was kind of rough and some other challenges that were probably presented along the way. But what what were some of the big things that you took away from each one? Yeah, um, well, I think the main, <clears throat> I think the main um, experience for us, which was, which was quite a damaging time, actually was a positive in the sense that we came away learning how to love people better, um, so that uh, you know trying to trying to come away from that and take the positives and, and go, okay, well look, this is this is how not to show grace and love to to people within your staff team, and also when implementing change within your church, how how not to do it necessarily. Um, so. So from that experience, we, we definitely learned that. And also I think it, that experience strengthened our spiritual spines. I think um, affliction and God chastising us or disciplining us, they're all great ways of us um, to grow in our faith and to be worthy of the call that God has called us to, which is to follow him and love him. So, um, for us, that definitely strengthened us spiritually. It made us more resilient, but not hardened, you know? So we didn't harden our hearts from that experience. Um, and, and yeah, other, there's been other opportunities to preach and teach at different churches. That's what I did um, since 2010 until now. I was a kind of roaming preacher where I'd go to different churches. And through those experiences, I'd see different churches like Anglican churches, Baptist churches, um, United Reformed churches um, and, I, and free churches. And, I, and in that, you'd be able to see a collective of people who are the church and seeing their different traditions and, and um, seeing their different secondary issues. So for me, that was very healthy to see the church broadly rather than just my own denominational yeah. kind of viewpoint. So that was healthy. Um, and yeah, so I think, the great takeaways from, from all of that is that I've, I've been able to learn to um, love Jesus more deeply through a varying um, myriad of experiences and feelings and pains. And I've been able to center myself upon the rock of ages. Mm. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Now, just touch on that if you can, just because that's a really unique perspective, just going to different churches and of different denominations, and you're able to speak uh, to them and for them and have God speak through you. And so a lot of people make a lot about, you know, the particular denomination you belong to, which is, and rightfully so, but sort of talk about, if you can, just sort of this new perspective maybe that you've gained, because yes, you want to be a, a, aligned with a denomination, but also you do, you know that that's a man-made distinction. So, sort of talk about that if you can. Well, I, I think you know I think it's good to. Uh, well, you know, it's where I work at the moment. We we are affiliated to um, 
the FIEC, which is the Free Independent Evangelical Churches. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of body, it's, it's an almost denomination of um, churches that stand for evangelical doctrine and teaching. And so there's some things that they say within their, um, within their group, uh, for example, that we can't do. So we can't associate ourselves with maybe churches that um, practice same-sex marriage weddings or will have um, uh, female overseers, um, female elders or pastors. And so I think sometimes it, you know, it is important to have a, a denominational standpoint where you say, look, these are the values we hold to. You know, the, I mean, that's why we have creeds. That's why we have catechisms, you know, and, 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 and confessions so that we don't veer from truth. So it's important that we, we stay true to those principles. But <clears throat> with regards to denominations and being able to partner with denominations, it's important that they hold to those truths. So it's healthy to look at other churches. So like the Anglican Church, um, I don't believe in infant baptism, but, you know, I can, I can work with a church that does practice infant baptism um, <clears throat> because that's an open-handed issue, right? It's not a closed-handed issue like the Trinity. Um, you know, if, if they all of a sudden say that the Holy Spirit isn't real, then I'm not going to partner with them. <laughs> um, but if, if, they, if we disagree on baptism, then, you know, we can partner. We can partner and we can work together because we believe in the same gospel. So I think it was healthy for me to go to different churches, see the different traditions, see the different practices, um, see their views as well of, of why they came, they, they've come to the conclusion of, let's say, infant baptism, for example. Uh-huh. Um, so for me, yeah, it was healthy because I think when we when we say our way is the right way, and we we mu- you know we must believe that um, our way is the is is the right way um, because that's what we are convicted about. Um, we, we must also not go up to people and say, well, you know, you're wrong, so we're not going to partner with you. And I think it it's being loose on the secondaries, but but strong and firm on the primaries and then we can then see people as brothers and sisters when we're open with those things, you know? That's right. Now, um, sort of what you were describing at your, your, your first ministry position, which was sort of a troubling time for you and your wife. And I can really relate to that because one of the first uh, churches that I went to um, when I moved to Florida it ended up being a long journey of God leading me away from that ministry and just through some, you know, uh, more difficult circumstances. And so um, sort of speak to that if you can, just knowing that, you know, it's really hard to be called away from a ministry in the right way. And um, maybe, maybe if you can encourage those who maybe feel that and, and, and encourage them the right way to leave a church because there's a right way and there's also a wrong way too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, whenever you leave a church <clears throat> for, for any reasons, whether it's the fact that they, they've hurt you or the fact that they have all of a sudden gone off um, a certain, you know, like doctrinal truth or, you know, you just don't get on with someone. 
I think it's always important to leave with grace. You know, you, you, um, if you're not, if you're not loving people, even though you disagree with them, then, you know, you, in a sense, you know, you are sinning because we need to love our brothers and sisters. Um, how can we say that we love God and not our, our brother and sister? You know, um, mm-hmm. the one who does that is a liar. You know, that's what the Bible says. And so I think whenever we leave a situation through pain and, and through or rejection, I mean, those were definitely the emotions that were going through my, through my head when, when that happened, maybe even yours. But um, I think the biggest thing that God was telling me was, you know, you, you need to forgive, you need to forgive, you need to forgive. And um, the enemy, what he often does is he says, oh, unless you, you know, emotionally feel like you can forgive someone, then, then, then you shouldn't forgive them. But what God says is he says, forgive, you know, even with pain and, 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 and through your rejection and, and hurt. So that's what we did. And, and, and also to pray for that church, that situation, or that individual. Um, because I find it really freeing when you can actually pray for a person that has caused you pain. And, and God, in the healing process of your life and you know, my life, he, he miraculously heals us through that. You know, he heals those wounds because we've been praying for someone and, and praying for their good, that the gospel would shine through their, their life and that grace would so touch them that they would, you know, come back to him and, and, or, or, or apologize to him or repent to him, you know, for the way that they've acted. So, yeah, I would say forgive people, pray for people, um, and just root yourself back into the grace that has saved a rebel and a wretch like you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those are my three things. Yeah. But there's also a point though, I think I, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that I felt that there is a, there is a level of um, forgiveness that can be exchanged between two people who felt a hurt. But there's also a point where you have to realize, and this is the brokenness and the fallout of the fall of Genesis three. But there's also a point I think where there is no sort of earthly reconciliation between brothers or between, between uh, members of the same congregation, if there is a hurt. And I think that's the hard point in coming to realize is that because you want to forgive and you want to try and, you know, go back to the way things were quote unquote. But I, I, I don't know. And maybe you can speak to this, but I don't know if that's always 100% possible just because we're sinners and we're broken people. And so even our reconciliation and our forgiveness is a broken form of form of the reconciliation and forgiveness that God commands of us. So how would you, and maybe this is impossible to answer, but how would you say, you know, this is the, maybe there's no real line, but this is the point in the sand, so to speak, that this is where we can't be reconciled, but I still forgive you. Do you, do you, does that make sense? (laughs) Definitely. And, and, you know, the really sad thing with um, where I was, was myself and the pastor, you know, we didn't reconcile. Um, For me, you know, my wife, we, we, we wanted to reconcile with, with, with the, with the guy. And we wanted to see peace as, 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 uh, you know, brothers and sisters. And he wasn't up for that. So, um, you know, I'm still wait, waiting for that that point where you know God may challenge his heart, convict him, and, and call him to repentance. You know, for the actions that had happened towards us. Um, but I don't hold out for that. 
you know, I'm not like, oh, I can't move on unless he's unless he's come to me and said, I'm sorry for the way I treated you. Or I'm sorry, you know, for what I, I said or what I did. <clears throat> so I think, um, you know, if he loves Jesus, if he's saved, the reconciliation comes in glory, you know, where we're, yeah. we're there in glory and where that's the final place of reconciliation. That's um, right. where, you know, we're going to be there with, with uh, the king in his beauty, you know, majesty and be able to worship him forever. And, you know, I would then be able to stand alongside that brother and, and what happened on the earth, you know, with the way that he had treated me at that time will, won't even matter but yeah there's got to be a time when you 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 said right you've done all that you can do to to have reconciliation and this person doesn't want anything um to do with it so you have to move on otherwise you'll you can't move on in your life you know um but just pray for them you know that's so true and it's especially tough too um, maybe in your situation and in mine, I know it was just because you do, you're a young guy and you're in ministry and you don't want to come across as just this, you know, naive, young, brash person who's just trying to, you know, go against the institution as it were. But you also don't want to compromise your convictions. And I know that's what led me to um, stepping away is I, I didn't want to compromise because this is what I felt was right. And it wasn't something that I was willing to do. And so that's the hard part. And maybe you can even give me wisdom on that. Um, but just knowing that, you know, you don't want to seem, you know, aggressive in your sort of um, um, your approach to that sort of aspect, but you also want to not compromise either. Yeah, and you said it. I mean, <clears throat> you know, conviction is key. I mean, if you're if you're not convicted, if you don't have convictions, then you're kind of like a, a guy on a balancing beam and you don't really have any sure foundation, you know, of what you believe. And if we are if we are if we are in the word and we are coming on our knees to the master and we are praying and we're imploring for his wisdom and discernment and we're pouring over scripture, like he will he he will through the spirit you know um you know the holy spirit will direct our, our paths and um i think yeah convictions is really key like like you said you had a conviction to leave because you didn't think that that was right mm-hmm. for whatever reason and that was the same for me you know that time led me into a depression and mm. you know that time uh, the way that my wife was treated as well I was convicted of, yeah, I need, we need to leave. This isn't good for my family. This isn't good for my, for, for us, our spiritual health and our guidance. So our conviction, because we're walking close with the Lord tells us we need to leave. Hmm. Um, so that's really, I think that's really key. Conviction. Yeah, it is. Now, and you were talking about it earlier when, when you, when you were talking about how God led you to Emmanuel church and, and, um, I just think it's an interesting thing to look back on just because, you know, like 10 years ago, who knows what you were doing, but obviously you didn't think you would be pastoring or assistant pastoring a church in Farnham probably. So just, you know, how, how is where you are now sort of different than where you thought you would be? Well, 10 years ago, um, 10 years ago, I was 19 and I wanted to, yeah, I still at that point did. I wanted to be a fireman at that point. So I was, 
I was pursuing all the doors. I was trying to see if I could get into the retained fire service. And uh, yeah, that idea totally changed. <laughs> so calling came into my life. You know, when, like I said, when God calls you, it changes all your aspirations. At that point in my life, I was a people pleaser. I was scared to get up and, and, and read a Bible verse at church. My knees would quake. Um, I, I just had my life set out. I wanted to be a fireman, earn some money, and be involved in the youth workers in some sort of capacity. And that was it. Um, so it's changed radically since then. Mm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and I, I can speak to that too, just because, you know, I used to just absolutely abhor getting up in front of people and trying to talk to them, no matter what I was trying to do. And, um, I just remember this like rush of just like embarrassment, but also nerves and everything. I would just clam up and not to say that I've totally you know, accomplished that now, but it's, it's, it's incredible to really feel the call of God because now I can get up and I can speak eternal divine truths without the same sort of hesitation. And I think that is one of the most clear examples to me of God's call is that I'm not as scared as I was. And it's not just a feeling, but that um, it, when I look back of where I used to be and, and how nervous I was, and now I am strong. And as, as Paul says in second Timothy, being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that's, that's what I'm striving to do. And that's the amazing thing about God's call. Mm. Yeah, for all that. Now, um, I probably know the answer to this, but who would you say has impacted you the most in your ministry from a personal standpoint? Oh, man. Um, well, I'll be cheeky, and, and um, since, you know, I'm your guest and you're the host, you know, I'll be cheeky <laughs> and push, push my uh, luck. I'm going to go for two. Just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the first one would be Spurgeon, um, and then the second one would be George Whitfield. And Spurgeon, uh, his great example was George Whitfield, mm. um, who was originally called the Prince of Preachers, Whitfield was, but we, we've coined that phrase to be on Spurgeon now. But those guys have just so impacted my ministry and, um, you know, my my walk with God as well. You, you, I mean, you look at their autobiography, well, Spurgeon's autobiography and uh, the biographies about him and, and Whitfield's journals, it just in, invokes this fire within you. You know, if ever you're feeling like you need some sort of pep talk or a encouragement or you're, you're coming to the word and you're feeling dry, just read a few lines of Whitfield's journals and you'll be like, well, man, like, and you, the hunger and the, you know, the enthusiasm and the zeal just totally comes comes back from from being dry. So yeah, Whitfield and Spurgeon would be my two my two guys. Mm. I like those. They're brothers. Well, <laughs> yeah, they are. Now, wh what would you say is probably like like the biggest thing? I, I'm I know you you read a lot of Spurgeon, and I do as well. And what would you say is one of the biggest things you've sort of extrapolated from his writings and sort of used in your own ministry? Um, I think just his love for prayer. You know, he, mm. he said that prayer was the boiler room of the church, you know, that, that 
you know, from that, I see it as, you know, if we're not praying, then our works are like filthy rags. And I know that's kind of like taking the, the filthy rags thing a bit out of context, but unless we're depending upon God each day for what he's going to do within our ministry, what he's going to do within our marriage, what he's going to do within our kids and their lives, if we're not praying for them, then all our works to build a church, to, you know, build up the family spiritually, to build our own spiritual life, it's all in vain. And it's kind of like empty gas. So for me, Spurgeon, yeah, I mean, he was just such a great um, influence on my life with regards to prayer. Mm. Yeah, I, I keep reading these these stories and these illustrations, these anecdotes of, of Spurgeon and prayer, and I walk away extremely convicted just because I know that I'm not even in a tenth of the amount of, of this guy's dedicated and disciplined prayer life. And I'm not saying that's the secret formula, but it's amazing to see the absolute dependence he had on prayer, on Jesus Christ, and on the gospel. Um, it, it's amazing to me. And, and then let me ask you this, because, you know, you think about these guys like Spurgeon and Whitfield, and we could go on and on down the list. And there's this rich history of theology and preachers and preaching in the United Kingdom, I think. And how would you say that affects, you know, modern ministry? Um, and, and does that pre present, you know, maybe different challenges? Because, you know, if people have been hearing the same thing for hundreds of years or so, it can be kind of become sort of just a part of the, the culture, so to speak, without even them realizing that they need to hear something new, which the gospel is ever new. So does that, does that have any sort of effect on the way you minister? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you know, when you read these guys, um, you, you realize that they were having the same sort of issues that we were having today. Mm. There's going to always be people that hate the gospel, hate it. I mean, I hated the gospel before God saved me. Um, we're all rebels and in rebellion against God. So, you know, I mean, I was reading the other day about um, Whitfield when he went to, I think it was Brighton or Bristol. He, he went to Brighton or Bristol and as he was walking out, he felt compelled to go back and, and talk to these sort of wrestlers on their stage. So he went on their stage and he shared the gospel with them. And some of them were receptive and others like clubbed him with this, with like a little rod. Mm. And, you know, in Spurgeon's time, <clears throat> you know, the, the media were awful at first. They were absolutely awful. Um, when that great disaster happened at Surrey Garden Musical and, um, I think it was seven people died. Uh, I think it was seven. And, uh, you know, the media called him like Satan because uh, he continued preaching. So they, they had the same sort of issues. They had the same um, war with the gospel that we do today. Yet what was key in their time and should be key in our time, which sadly um, some churches have gone away from, is the preaching of the word. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of churches will look to go, right, well, bums on seats, that's the sign of a healthy church. Uh, money, um, maybe a young hip pastor or assistant pastor, that's going to fix the problems. Uh, no, what what is God asking for us as young ministers or as young people is to preach the word faithful, just be faithful to his word, to commune with him in prayer and 
let that joy for the grace that we've received overflow into the church and to the, to the world, you know. And, um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. but <laughs> No, it does. Um, just because in, in a very dissimilar way, just because, you know, I grew up in or I grew up in the quote unquote Bible belt of America, as they, you know, colloquial call it. But um, it just presents this new sort of way you have to approach, you know, sharing the gospel because the gospel is almost like a slang thing that people know about. And it's not something that they have to be like shocked by everyone knows who Jesus is and everyone knows who, or maybe a little bit about what he did. And they say that they believe it and they go to church, you know, on Easter and Christmas. But that's the hard part about, about ministry sometimes is you have to get people to realize how desperate they are. And no one really wants to do that. No one really wants to admit their own spiritual bankruptcy, but that's what you're called to do uh, as, as your first call as a preacher is to say, you know, me, even though I'm speaking here and you we're all spiritually bankrupt, but praise yeah. Jesus. He gives us his grace. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of what I've learned, you know, just being around people who say that they know the gospel or they're familiar with it. And then you have to get them to realize that it's a lot more um, radical than what they think. <laughs> We, li- we live in a, um, you know, it's very similar in America. You know, we live in a very gray area time. Like everything's very gray. Mm. You, know, you want to be, if you want to, you know, to use this example, if you want to be a man, then you can be a man. If you want to be a woman, then you can be a woman. Whereas what we're saying is, no, this is what is true. Mm-hmm. You know, the gospel is true. You are a sinner in need of grace, in need of saving. And, you know, the key thing is spiritually they're dead. They're, yep. they're just a floating corpse, and only Jesus can come in and pull them out onto the beach and give them life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think, yeah, like our role is to be very clear with what the gospel is. Um, you know, be loving. Don't just go up to anyone in the street and say you're going to hell. You're going, you know, you're yeah. a sinner. Um, but like through community, through loving people, through building relationships, and through the opportunities that God gives us, you know, saying yeah, you know. And you are a sinner and you're separated from God and that leads to hell. Mm. And then you, the grace, because you can't have the gospel without law and grace, you know? That's right. Um, so, yeah. Mm. So in, in light of that, then let's just bring it down to sort of a practical level. Cause I like, I am, I would say I'm, you know, a nominal studier of preaching and I love, you know, listening to pastors and studying the sort of art of preaching. And I would say, or let me ask you, just how would you sort of describe or characterize your sort of preaching style? And there's so many different styles of preaching out there, but uh, where, do, where do you think you fit in? Um, well, again, I, I always try to model, you know, I'm my own style. So I, I am Gerald White. I'm not, I'm not Spurgeon. I'm not Whitfield. I'm not Jonathan Edwards. I'm not Bunyan. I'm not Brad. You know, I am Gerald. That's who I am in God's providence and his sovereignty. That's that's who he has called me to be. Mm-hmm. But I model my, my um, you know, or I look up to the styles of people like Spurgeon and Whitfield um, and Edwards. I mean, Edwards was very different. But, um, yeah, so I think over the years I, I've tried to look at who are the best preachers that preach faithfully, and I've sought to 
um, I've sort of just grew my own style in light of their influence. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of that old saying that you stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak. And I think that's yeah. kind of like what um, I like to do. But I also like to it's, – it's been a challenge for me, if I'll just share this, is that, you know, when I was early in ministry, you know, I would just come across – you know, this great quote or something like that. And I would always want to be sharing these quotes from other guys. But what I've been really striving to do is not share what a man has said, but to share really just focus on the word. And then this is what God says, because I think a lot of times I can get into like sharing this amazing quote when it's that's sort of missing the point And it's sort of um, maybe even a little bit of a distraction when you're trying to, you know, uh, throw in another Jonathan Edwards quote or throw in another John Owen quote. And then you have to explain John Owen because John Owen was pretty confusing. So you have yeah. to like do all these things. <laughs> and so anyways, that's just kind of what I've been learning, you know, is to let the word speak for itself and don't try and, and try and bring in all these extra, extra things. Um, but anyways, I would say, um, in light of your sort of your own sort of preaching style and developing that, what does your, what is your typical sermon preparation look like? There's many different methods and everyone has their own sort of like uh, groove or routine they get into. So what's, what's Gerald's? Yeah. So, I mean, it can, it can, I mean, I have a consistent way of doing it, but it can vary depending on, you know, the um, pace of life, you know, if, mm. I mean, like the other day, um, <laughs> James, my uh, my my second son, who's one, he fell down a bit of the stairs and cut his lip, and there was just blood everywhere. <laughs> he's he's okay though, but um, there was just blood everywhere, and so um, I was preparing my sermon in that moment, and so my routine got disrupt disrupted through that. So you know, sometimes the the routine can be disrupted through different paces of life, but how I'd like to do it and how I normally do it is, you know, I just pray because. Um, I'll have the word in front of me and I, I can't do anything. I can't do anything in my own strength. Um, nor would I want to because the, the call to preach is such a high calling um, to preach the very voice of God through his scriptures is just such a, uh, such an honor. So I just pray to God, you know, that he would strengthen me, that he would help me to discern what the truth of this passage is, that I wouldn't go off on any tangent or go off on anything that's, that's not true to his word. And then I'd often um, photocopy or, or print off the passage and I just read it and read it and read it and underline things that are jumping out to be the main things and highlight things and write notes and kind of like look at points and kind of get a, a brief, um, structure for how I would want the sermon to be through through just reading it and grappling with it and praying over it and struggling with it um, and then after I've done all of that I go to uh, people that um, are maybe more educated than me or maybe more um, learned than me and I look at what they say in commentaries um, or in sermons um, and see if I'm on the same sort of wavelength um, and see if I'm, I'm kind of in the right ballpark. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then I, I will write up my sermon and then I will send that sermon to seasoned pastors 
or friends who are preaching regularly and get their feedback on whether I'm on the right tracks. Um, and then I preach it. I pray obviously before the day, but you know, I, I, I preach it. Yeah. Mm, that's cool. I like hearing people's different methods and stuff like that. There was always something um, different. And I think that's what makes it good because each person can approach the word and usually they can end up saying the same thing, but they just get there in a different way. <laughs> um, now, besides Spurgeon, what books have really impacted you the most uh, in the last couple of years? Um, well, you know, this year, Whitfield's journals that I've been plowing through have just been tremendous, mm. so, tremendous influence. Um, you know, that guy, the amount of sermons that he would preach each week, you know, the the amount of time that he would be praying, um, you know, the brotherly love that he had for people under his care. You know, he would see them literally as like sons and daughters and, and mothers and fathers, you know, yeah, brothers and sisters. And, um, that for me, like, you know, his zeal for God, for the ministry and for, you know, the saving of souls, the furthering of, of God's kingdom just for me was such a big impact. So that would probably be one of the main ones really um, in the last sort of year, two years. Um, and then I would probably say lectures to my students as well by, by Spurgeon. You know, I said I like Spurgeon. Well, his lectures to my students was a big influence because he was giving very practical wisdom to people wanting to go into ministry. Um, I learned a lot from 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 that, um, and there's others you know out there, um, uh, but probably those those two books would be the main ones, and just generally reading Puritan stuff, um, I think it's given me a great depth for pursuing holiness and obedience, mm. and and prayerfulness as well, and preaching truth. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, any of our listeners out there, I would say definitely read lectures to my students, especially if you are a person who is pursuing ministry in any sort of capacity. Um, definitely is a must read. But as we sort of and as we sort of close here, as we as I began saying, the Majesty's Men is really just you know, as you know, it's a it's a brotherhood, it's a collective of of, of young guys that just love Jesus and they want to share that love of Jesus with other young guys. And so if you, uh, Gerald, were given an audience of just young men and you were only allowed to say one thing to them, what would that one thing be? <laughs> you know, I don't just say one thing. I always have a sermon for each question you ask. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's okay. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would say to, to young men, I would just say, you know, pr pray, just be constantly not constantly, because we can't be constantly like, um, you know, in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about being constant in prayer. Um, but always have prayer on the mind, you know, always have prayer on the mind. Um, mm. being, being in communion with your, with, with your, with your, with, with your father in heaven, heaven. Um, and, and getting into the word, you know, uh, I think it's Psalms 119 verse 11 that says I've stored up, your word within my heart so that I may not sin against you. And if we are to be good ministers of the gospel 
and good ministers and leaders of our homes, then we've got to know what the word is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that. And on a side note, <laughs> two books that I would recommend to young guys would be J.C. Ryle's book on thoughts for young men and also Thomas Brooks um, and his Apples of Gold. I would probably say those two books for, for young men um, would be great reads. Mm. And I, I like that emphasis that you put on prayer, but also on getting in the word because for some reason, sometimes I think there's a sort of um, wanting to get away from God's word sometimes. And I don't understand where that comes from, but for young men, especially, as you said, it's important to get in the word. And, and we mean that in all sort of literalness as we can is just let it saturate as you do uh, reading throughout the week and let it just marinate. So then you just, you know, the word by the time whenever you're called to minister or wherever you're, whatever you're, your your called or pursuit is you are you are marinated in that word that's a really good emphasis gerald well um i just want to say thank you for coming on thank you for making the time and i i'm about to start my day you're about to i guess finish lunch or whatever you're doing over there so you or have your afternoon tea i don't know what it is um (laughs) I know that was very stereotyped. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, just thanks again for coming on. It's always a joy to talk to you. I always feel much more enlightened when I do. Um, so thanks again for your ministry and your encouragement. And I'll uh, keep following you and Morna and uh, your, your boys as we, as you um, get into this new church and this new ministry. All right. Thanks, Gerald. And thanks again to Gerald for taking the time to come on the show today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and go read his blog at The Gospel Plant, all of which you can find linked in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for staying with me and for following along. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more episodes like this, be sure and give the show a follow on Twitter. You can also subscribe on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Thanks again to the Christian Standard Bible for sponsoring the show, and thank you, as always, for listening and for commenting and subscribing. I really appreciate your support. I'll see you on the next episode.